Welcome to the Rev Engine Podcast, where we help B2B CEOs and revenue leaders get clarity on how to align sales and marketing, build a high performing revenue engine, and accelerate revenue growth for their organizations. I'm your host, Jeff Davis, author of award winning book, Create Togetherness, and founder of Rev Engine. Let's jump into the show. Hey, everybody, it is Jeff Davis with another episode of the Rev Engine podcast, where we help B2B CEOs and revenue leaders align sales and marketing, transform the revenue engine, and accelerate revenue growth. I have what I would call some go to market innovators on the show today. We have Julia Nemchitsky and Justin Michael. They have done a ton of work helping B2B revenue leaders think differently about our go to market strategies, how sales and marketing needs to transform, and really how do we do it differently and do it better. There's some elements of how do we incorporate AI and how that's going to change the landscape. But I don't want to give too much away because I think it's going to be a really, really compelling conversation. And by virtue, we have two guests now. I'm going to probably not talk a lot because we got we got a lot to get through. So I'll just give you a high level and then I will throw it over to Julie and Michael to kind of give their story, their background and kind of what how they got to where they are today. So really quickly, Julie is the co-founder and CEO of HypeCycle. We're going to get into that because they've created a, a really compelling community of B2B revenue leaders and they're doing some really cool stuff. Again, I don't want to give too much away, but I was when they launched this effort, I was really excited because it very much speaks to my focus on aligning sales and marketing. She's also the founder and editor of GTM Magazine, Go to Market Magazine, and then the co-founder of their new book, Reinventing Virtual Events, which we'll hopefully get into uh, a deep dive because I think they're also talking about some really interesting things because... I mean, post-COVID, we know everybody has to get better and level up on virtual events because it's just the way that we're connecting with our target audience. And if you are not doing it differently, you might want to consider doing something different. Our other guest is Justin Michael. He is the co-founder of HypeCycle, author of Tech Powered Sales, and then also the co-founder of Reinventing Virtual Events. I think these two bring a lot to the table and complement each other well based on their background and what they're focused on and just really two intelligent people that are passionate about B2B. So as I always say, I'm going to get out of the way. I'm going to let Julia go ahead and give her background and then throw it over to Justin and then we'll, we'll jump into the conversation. Take it away. Thank you for the stellar introduction, Jeff. Excited to be here. I'm an entrepreneur. That's how I identify myself and relate to. I've spent a decade in SaaS, in early stage companies, leading marketing, work probably every had in marketing can think of, been a CMO, been in product marketing, content marketing, you name it. I'm based in Tel Aviv. So I like to joke that, you know, we don't have bubbles here. So that's why we have such a creative <laughs> name of our company and no one can pronounce it. Justin, back to you. Yeah. So my background is in sales and doing a lot with technology and automation. And I met Julia through an event where she brought me in as the MC. It was a cold calling competition. And it was her idea to really democratize that and have Aaron Ross and, you know, SDRs and all different levels competing. And then she kind of applied these methodologies like a method hunt. So I came and got involved in that. And then she had this crazy idea like, hey, what if sales and marketing switched lives for a competition? And my response was like, uh, I don't really want to do that. Let's just do cold call battles, right? <laughs> but it was so different and unique and weird and cool. I'm like, that's going to work somehow. So just like, you know, let's do it. Let's try it. And the rest is history. Yeah. Why this resonated with me is, you know, I talk about in my book of, you know, things that marketing can do to improve the relationship with sales. And one of the things I advocate that I still don't think is done enough is marketing. Now, mind you, my context is I started my sales career as like literally in the car with the bag and that sort of thing. So 
uh, not tech sales. I came from healthcare sales, but I advocate for marketers and marketing leadership to actually go on field rides. And, you know, in tech, that could be even just jumping on calls. And so when you guys started this, I was just like, yeah, this is really speaks to something that I've been preaching for a really long time, because I think both sales and marketing, they don't know what the other does. And so I would also advocate for sales folks, you know, if and when they have the opportunity to jump on some marketing projects to really learn how to get things done. Because in a highly regulated industry like healthcare, trust me, reps have no idea how long it takes to get simple things done. So I like what you guys are doing. So with that said, let's talk about what Hype Cycle is. So folks that uh, may not be aware of it, well, first of all, I'll tell them how to spell it. Because if they type in H-Y-P-E cycle, it May or may, I don't know how good your CEO or SEO is. It may not come up. So let's talk about how to spell it first. And then you guys tell us what it is. We have a creative spin on the spelling, Jeff, out of the <laughs> mystery. Um, <laughs> yeah, your background actually is amazing and, you know, contributes a lot, especially in a recession since we're trying to pivot all of us in SaaS to exactly the industry that you mentioned, healthcare, one of the most stable ones. Speaking of hype cycle, uh, you know, it was amazing to me. That while I was working, you know, every company that, you can, that I had an experience working at, marketing department was super isolated and never really interacted with sales, except of, you know, meetings, one meeting per week, months, et cetera. And we all know how, you know, yeah. these meetings tend to go. And I thought that probably I'm not lucky. And all of the other SaaS community, you know, is doing better than that. And then the more you start to interact with the community, you realize that there's this gap that marketing and sales is not aligned everywhere. And you tell me, have you met a marketer, you know, that was absolutely aligned with our sales team and vice versa in your career? So I'm a bit biased, obviously, because I came from sales, but I, I recognize when I transitioned, I was doing things that were, I wouldn't say unnatural, but especially for a junior marketer, I was doing things that people were like, why are you doing that? And I'm like, because I came from sales and this just makes sense to me. But I would agree with you, the macro level, most most marketers aren't really, really integrated with their sales team at a very high level. Many times they say, you know, we have a great relationship, we talk and et cetera. But when I think you, you really dig into their strategy and their business plan, they're not integrated. And the problem stems really from the definition of marketing. And I probably, you know, speak the love language of sales, but if you read any, any mm-hmm. SaaS book, any entrepreneurship book, you'll see that 90% of, you know, all of the research done in the industry points at marketing and marketing not cooperating with product as much yeah. as it was supposed to. So I saw this memo from the Procter and Gamble founder and was written like, like back in 1931 it was defining marketing as a function that cooperates with sales and driving revenue directly impacting product decisions and directly talking to their customers can you name a company that does that yeah i don't know i mean i hope there obviously are some out there but i think again to your point that's not the norm 1931 how about you justin what's the futurism seth yeah, sorry to jump in. I think we had Udi Lettergore from Gong, and he really seems to take a really active participatory, like he spends time with sales, and that seems really powerful. So we've had a few people on the show, I think, that are hip to this idea, but it's it's definitely rare. Yeah, so normally marketing department can work with sales, or marketing department would you know, work with 
a little bit of product, mm-hmm. but it's never holistic. It's never really aligned in the sense of it. So coming back to your initial question, Jeff, and hype cycle role, the whole existence of the company came from this. Maybe maybe you saw this theory in marketing of a yeah. T-shaped marketer. I have, yep. So just to clarify for the folks listening to this, you would go really, you know, deeply in your knowledge to learn two micro functions of marketing, say product marketing and content marketing, or product marketing and ads, you name it. And then you have to have a basic understanding of the other things in marketing like PR or advertising or something that not directly impacts your work, but you just right. have to understand how things work. So we just took that and expanded it into go to market. It seems like a common sense, but back, you know, three years ago, everyone was super judgmental and didn't really understand it. And they took a ton of, you know, explanations. What are we mm-hmm. doing? Why are we doing this? But yeah, essentially, if you're working in sales, knowing sales is not enough. Obviously, you have to know marketing, you have to know finance, product, and you, you know, if we're talking about C-suite. Obviously, you have to build that. Alignment and cooperation. I love it. That's our mission. Um, I mean, obviously, your audience is SaaS. Do you believe that there are learnings, insights that other industries can gain from what you guys are doing? And I, I ask that because a lot of the reasons that we built this platform is to really expand the conversation to all industries. Because I think, depending on the industry, and I like to call them legacy industries. So we're talking about you know, manufacturing, industrial products, uh, machines, you know, auto, uh, logistics. Some of them are in a different phase of their transformation of sales and marketing. And so I'm always trying to find resources that those industries can be impacted in a positive way as well. So I was curious if you guys felt other industries outside of tech SaaS would benefit from what you're doing. Absolutely, Jeff. And, you know, no one goes to the university to become a seller. Marketer, maybe very rarely, but I never met a marketer that was actually applying mm-hmm. what they learned in the university to their direct work. So our main message is, you know, fail forward and try things. And that's the environment that we create with HypeCycle. Just to clarify to everyone listening, so it's a business competition, event series. We run monthly. So far, we've run for 19 months, nine days. First week, we bring top six marketing leaders and cross-train them with the best people, you know, in B2B that all the opposite function. So it would be sales leader like yourself that would bring their methodology, teach them something. And it's a very interactive set of simulations where they can, you know, without any additional preparation or anything, they just come to the show and learn something, fail, learn again, and, you know, proceed to the next day. So we cross train the teams and then we bring someone like Marco Berge or any VC, and they would challenge marketers and sellers to think wider in terms of go-to-market versus that yeah. only function that they're working in. Justin, what did I miss? What's really unique, and I don't want to steal your thunder, Julia, but marketers in any vertical are interested in what sales is doing, and sellers are secretly interested in what marketers are doing. We've proved that conclusively, and that was really I Julia's initial thesis. So salespeople are less data-driven 
And sometimes marketers in this day and age, I'm not sure in the legacy industries, they kind of hide behind dashboards. They don't really talk to customers as much. So mm-hmm. what's really cool is watching a lot of these competitors go through and their executives at all levels. And some come in multiple times. And sometimes they win the games and then they go coach the games. But you see the light bulb turning on in their head, kind of like it did for me. Like I got into this whole world of marketing through Julia, gained a lot of new respect for it and realized I had no idea how all of it works. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> I was blinded by my selling expertise to say like, well, yeah, marketing's easy and it's very difficult and different. And um, we need to respect each other to work together. And that is the key point that I have really been trying to express to, to leaders is that I would, uh, you know, early in my speaking career would meet these sales leaders that were, I don't want my people making excuses by leaning on marketing and relying on marketing. Marketing should be additive and we don't need their leads, et cetera, et cetera. And, and I heard where they were coming from because I've had that sort of sales leader that was like, you know, you at the end of the day are accountable for your numbers, your territory, et cetera, et cetera. And I get the spirit of where that's coming from. But what I, what I pushed back a little bit and I said, at the end of the day, you as a sales leader, your real job, obviously besides hitting revenue targets, is to get your sellers, your sales teams into the right conversations with the right people at the right time. That is the Jeff Davis uh, kind of POV on sales leadership. And I said, in order to do that, you have to understand the conversation that your marketing colleague is having in the marketplace and what they are creating in order for them to be serving up the right types of conversations to your sellers. And if you just kind of throw your hands up and don't look over the fence and say like, marketing is not my responsibility, I don't care what they're doing. You were A, doing yourself a disservice, but B, I would say that you're not doing your job because you are not helping curate, control, you know, really develop the story that you want told in the marketplace. And so uh, what you said really resonated with me because, uh, you know, at this time in any industry, you as a sales leader have to know what marketing is doing. You just have to. Absolutely. And you can do it, you know, by looking on the dashboard. So speaking to that point, our main message is, you know, walk a mile in the other function shoes. We've seen incredible stuff, Jeff, you know, in LinkedIn when companies start tagging us and they're doing a variation of the GTM game within their organization. So they would bring their VP of sales and CMO and, you know, cross-train the teams internally for a day and a week. So if I'm a sales marketing leader, revenue leader, et cetera, and I kind of want to, I don't want to participate, but I want to take advantage of what you guys are doing and, and be in the audience. So to say, can you help us understand, like, how can I do that? Because I think a lot of people might be interested in what you're doing, but want to take a less active role and more of a learning role. So walk us through, like, what that looks like. First, there is no passive role in what we're doing. So, you know, we tend to bring the audience members and make them panelists out of the blue. Okay. Very spontaneous environment. We have run GDM games on Zoom and the other, the, the whole conversation is going on Slack. So we're constantly asking, hey, you know, we have like a email breakdown. Do you want to join? Do you want to join our competitors? Do you okay. want to join with a question? So we try to make it really as interactive as possible. And that's the premise of the games because I'm sure that you notice, obviously, when COVID hit, everyone started rocking all the webinars and events and, you know, you open your inbox and you see all the best lineups, all the best messages, topics, and then, you know, sponsors. And especially for marketers and sellers, you feel, you know, as a customer or a potential customer, you feel biased and you're 
you can, you know, embrace that skepticism that that conversation is going to be yep. selling the solution that was sponsoring the talk. So we're trying to do, we try to partner with, like Justin mentioned, companies like Metadata and run the whole drill within the interface of Metadata. So we would bring Jason Wood up and he would teach, you know, single mm-hmm. or two about targeting. And then the contestants would log in into Metadata and try to, you know, do some any sellers. So they're trying to adjust advertising, which is fun. Yeah, love it. You mentioned something about kind of post-COVID and running virtual events, which I think is a great segue to talking a little bit about your book. And so uh, the book came out uh, very recently. So reinventing virtual events. I think it's a very interesting topic for many reasons. I think it is very applicable uh, to both marketing and sales. And I think of sales in the context of like, you know, how are you selling virtually versus uh, what we used to do in the, in the in the past? And then obviously marketing for events and whatnot. So Justin, kind of give us an idea of kind of how was this book born? Like, what were you guys thinking? And, and maybe some of the key learnings for those that are on the line to see if it's something that would be a good read for them. Yeah. So Julia brought this idea and uh, we have such a collection of recordings and frameworks and interesting drills and simulations. And it's so unusual. And the idea of the book is a framework that doesn't actually require a lot of tech stacks. And we have that in the book. Okay. But it's more like if you're just throwing a static Zoom webinar or podcast, how do you make it more interactive? How do you gamify it? How do you turn it into a competition? How do you use things that we utilized in GTM games to make your next event just more robust, maybe increase retention, more customer focused. Yeah. And so we went to pitch Wiley on that. And amazingly, it was just like they wanted to take it. I remember trying to get a book deal for 10 years. So <laughs> it's a great <laughs> like, idea. This is a lot easier this time for some reason. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I think, like you said, it's it's a huge problem. And, and Julia came up with the tagline, um, you know, a million webinars and no leads or something, you know, and I'm sure there are leads, but people kind of just pummel their MQLs and just process them, you know, it's it's very mechanical, the sales philosophy. So the book is all about foster the relationship with your customers, make them the stars of the events and follow up and use humane ways of business development to build a community around them versus this kind of transactional style that, pervaded um the pan- the pandemic virtual events yeah and without obviously giving too much away what are some of the because I'm, I'm thinking about the listeners that may say like hey, this is interesting but this is book for me what are some of like the key takeaways key insights that we should shift our mindset kind of pre and i know everybody uses this covid as like the marker it's it all it almost at this point is like ad and bc at this point it's like pre-covid post-covid but what are some of the mind shifts that folks should have or insights around that that are different about how we go about, you know, virtual events or whatnot prior to COVID. Can you give us a few of kind of what you found in building Hype Cycle and obviously all the insights you learned and what you did? Happy to. So if people don't realize, Jeff, if we're building a product behind the scenes, build it already, but release it soon. And the whole premise of Hype Cycle is put your audience first versus the panelist, the amazing vendor, your product, your pitch, your sales agenda. So for us, our ICP is going to be sellers and marketing leaders alike. And that's why we're putting those sellers and marketing leaders in the center of the event. And we are 
making them the stars, them the center. And we can see this, you know, the best example again, mm-hmm. Salesforce. No one does it better and no one does it at all in SaaS. So Dreamforce, every time I've been, every time there is a customer speaking, you know, to the problem, to the release of the product, how they use the product. And those sessions are really engaged. So when we flip the script, mm-hmm. back to your point, during COVID, by, you know, having sales and marketing superstars like yourself coaching, again, what people don't realize that you would just talk about, you know, your methodology for 10 minutes. And the rest of the time, our contestants are on the spotlight. So they would work. They would go into simulation with you. They would basically a role play where, you know, the most of the talk mm-hmm. time belongs to them. And that brought us not only MQLs, to Justin's point, but pipeline. And it proves to bring pipeline to other projects too. I did a mini version of this uh, when I work in a revenue intelligence company and they were trying to pioneer guided selling, guided selling when, you know, people only started to, bro- to buy sales engagement. Mm-hmm. It was way too early. I got some focus broke of the piece of sales and ask them, you know, but basically what do they spend their money on now? Obviously it was sales engagement. And even if the idea of, you know, aligning your sales and marketing, guided selling, you know, revenue intelligence is really yeah. futuristic and appealing, they couldn't believe in AI and sales in general five years ago. So they obviously didn't spend money on it. It wasn't a must-have solution. So what I did, I launched a startup within a startup, a micromedia company, this methodon that Justin was talking about, invited the best call caller in the field, Justin Michael, mm-hmm. to be the face of it. And, you know, it all came from an insight that VPs of sales, CEOs, and our ICPs, they really loved listening to call calls. They loved overseeing their team. It was fun. And no one was doing that back at the time. So we brought that inside, we made it like a full-blown call-calling competition with Aaron Ross and, you know, as the Armstrong Gong competing with each other with real audience. People were shocked by just hearing Aaron <laughs> Ross calling them. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, I think it's actually really cool. Um, we'll also be sh- sure to put uh, in the show notes a link to Hype Cycle and so we can get folks information to that, how they can join, be a part of that. And then obviously we'll also put the book uh, Re- Reinventing Virtual Events. We'll put that in the show notes as well. So if people are interested in the content and, and what we've kind of talked about resonates with them, they can go ahead and, and grab a copy of the book. So one of the things that I selfishly want to hear about is some of the insights that you have gotten so far running Hype Cycle when it comes to marketers learning about sales and vice versa. What have you seen kind of like aha moments when marketers get it or because you're putting these two people historically who exist, live in silos in the organization, you're kind of mashing them up together. So I'd, I'd imagine there have been some aha moments for both the marketing side of the fence and the sales side of the fence. So curious, some of those uh, that you found out over the time you've, you've been running the event. Happy to start and then pass the mic to Justin. Yeah, the, the biggest insight to me personally as a marketer is that marketers tend to really be good in listening, but they don't talk to the customers and they overthink okay. a lot. So if I'm 
when I'm reaching out to all the marketing leaders to participate in the event, they would ask millions of questions. They would, you know, even if I'm saying, hey, you know, you're marketing this product, you don't need to know anything. You just need to come and learn to pitch it like it's happening live. So it's a very safe environment. No prep is involved. And they would still prep. They would spend months and weeks with their sales team, you know, listening to the call calls, trying to become better, trying to present themselves best. Yeah. And with sellers, they tend to wing it. So they would show up. Oh, there is no prep involved. Amazing. And then we have an example. We love to talk about this one. Alice Hyman came in, was a cold calling match for sellers. But the gist was that she was a CEO and the whole event was basically devoted to cold calling CEOs. Then she shows up, she breaks the format. She's saying, Hey, I'm a CEO and I'm never answering cold calls. So you have to be creative like marketers and saying how to, you know, engage me mm-hmm. in a conversation, not cold calling me. And Jeff, four out of six people still cold cold. So that's, you know, a very bright example of sellers, you know, and we think about how we're going to present our solution, how we're going to pitch and pitch slap, yeah. so to say, without actually listening to the customer and listening to the other person in front of us. So how about you, Justin? Those are the two I wanted to mention, but <laughs> great job capturing that, Julia. So we're big fans of Carol Dweck, you know, and so cool to mm-hmm. see her consult with Satya Nadella when he took over Microsoft. But you really see a similarity with salespeople and marketers. You see that growth mindset and the fixed mindset in play. So whether they prep or not, it's really cool to see how they respond to the coaching because a lot of these folks have never sat in front of a CMO and had the CMO say, well, here's what I really think of your pitch or your story and to give this hard feedback. And we ask the contestants, do you want hard feedback or sugarcoat? And they say tough. And so you have these like, you know, elite leaders or sometimes just practitioners, even SDRs or coaches. So it's very much equalized, but you're getting this hard hitting feedback. And then the point of the show is to then teach back, which we, it's a great term. Kevin Dorsey uses it. There's a part of every game where they get to kind of do a do over. So we had okay. Doug Landis on the VC and he goes, look, we're doing storytelling. It's good if you get worse, like the wobbly deer in the headlights, because you try, because you're applying it. So the coaching is eliminated based on getting out of your comfort zone and not just rattling your script. Yeah. It's so just like a, a lot of cool real-time engagement and coaching points that I feel show that alignment with marketing sales. And you, and you have the bell go off. You have sellers who are reluctant to do marketing, and they kind of fall in love with it because they finally talk to a marketer. Yeah. <laughs> You know, you made me think of something. So, you know, I transitioned from sales to marketing many, many moons ago. I, I say it as if like I'm 75. But anyway, I remember that transition being hard. And to be honest with you, I think it was scary because I didn't realize when I transitioned to marketing, it is literally a different language. And so many times I very early in my career, a marketing career, there was just conversations. I was like, what is going on? What are we talking about? There's this whole other language. And so when I talk to sales leaders and marketing leaders, I really talk about the fact that you guys many times, and it depends on the organization, obviously, you have different language. And I have seen meetings where you have these two sides of the organization come together and it takes 25, 30, 35 minutes for them to realize they're saying the same things in different ways. They have different definitions for things. So I think that in of itself also causes kind of this dysfunctional relationship. And then the other thing that, you know, and I'm curious to see what you guys are thinking, I think you hit on it is the way in which marketers speak does not usually translate 
to sell it. Like there's a way in which we talk, you know, especially in meetings, we get very heady. There's very big concepts. When you're talking to regular people, like you have to translate that to some the language that's consumable pretty easily. So I was curious if you guys had saw, you know, a similar theme of like marketers struggling to like just talk in plain language and then maybe, you know, salespeople not being as, I don't know, descriptive or I was just curious because I, I, I'm fascinated by the language in which we use in these different functions. For sure. It always comes to practicality, you know, Jeff, and every time when we are prospecting marketers and sellers and even trying to get them out of their comfort zone and pitch this cross-training thing, there is a misconception because they think that we really want them to, you know, become better in marketing, marketing skills and vice versa. But it's not about skills that much as it is about the lenses through which we are viewing our customers and talking to them. So if I'm a seller, I tend to be focused on the pipeline, on the number, on the revenue, on my compensation plan, you name it. And that is driving the whole relationship more often than not, that practicality. If I have a micro-marketing lens on the customer, it will help me with, you know, the first touch with targeting, with strategic messaging, with adjusting that strategic messaging depending on the flow of the conversation and not just hammering the working script that my marketing team or my VPs of sales just gave me. And vice versa, for marketing, it's just the biggest mystery why marketers do not talk to customers. We have this show analyst BMF test and we constantly run, you know, different surveys. How disappointed would you be without our mm-hmm. solution tomorrow? Super bum. So obviously, you know, would you answer the survey seriously? Like what would motivate you to answer, you know, if Riverside didn't exist tomorrow, would you be super bummed? Like maybe, but you would use Zoom or, or you tool. know. Yeah. So we're not talking about solution that, you know, define our existence or nothing in SaaS is that, you know, essential to our lives. And that's the paradox. So why wouldn't marketers just, you know, call call or simply call or Zoom call and talk to the customer and not just listen to sales recordings, but actually hit that words, that language that you mentioned in the beginning and put it on the website instead of copying, you know, their competitors on G2. It's crazy, Jeff. I just don't want to go and rent <laughs> and bring it that direction, but freaking 99% of the category is just rewritten, yeah. copywritten message and color and sameness all over B2B. I feel like you answered that so well. Are there differences? I mean, it's interesting, right? Speaking CMO is sort of the goal in getting trained when I worked at Salesforce is to understand the language of marketing leaders and the KPIs and the metrics. And I received mm-hmm. great training there. Todd Capone was my trainer. But I got to say, just like you articulated, Jeff, Having spent a couple years working with Julia, it's been an odyssey into the history of branding and marketing and advertising and how these functions fit together and in many ways how they're fractured now and how marketing's just turned into spamming under the guise of demand gen and inbound and outbound has just turned into robocalling and automation for automation's sake and 
all these tools and not enough people are talking to customers across the board. So we kind of have to return to fundamentals. I think is Julia's message inventing this. And I've been along for the ride and just learning every step of the way. And so, Justin, you've done a lot of work in tech and sales and AI and how they've all are, are moving the industry forward. Obviously, you wrote a book called Tech Powered Sales. It's interesting to me that with all of the technology that's coming and, and the, the maturity on the sales tech side is obviously not as mature as marketing, right? We, there's still a differential between the two, although I would argue that the sales tech is accelerating extremely quickly. Marketing, MarTech has been around for quite a lot longer and that sector is much more mature. But there is this need to return to like human to human selling. So how are you kind of thinking through leveraging tech, but also reminding people like you've got to find ways in which to break out and actually make a human connection? Because I think this is a huge struggle for a lot of organizations, especially those that are trying to scale, is like, what is that balance between automation and scaling, but also having people do their due diligence, learn, you know, nuances of the the target customer? I think it's just tough. So I'm curious now that we have you on the line uh, and you have a lot of experience in this uh, area, what your thoughts are. It's a phenomenal question. So I'm trying to think of the most controversial way I can answer it. <laughs> uh, the, and the reason being is that what we're doing right now is what creates business, right? Whether we can go in person and have dinner or, you know, rub elbows at a, a big conference, the important thing is to connect on a human level. And so when full cycle reps or outbound reps or sales folks, sales leaders are spending most of their time in these platforms, targeting, creating the lists, programming out all this messaging, responding to replies, looking at all these analytics dashboards, in many ways, they're acting like marketing analysts. Mm. And so all of my work in that area is trying to do what this book is saying, which is create a garden where people are talking to each other and they talk before and after. And it's more human to human communication, even if, if that's over Zoom or a call and not in person. So that's where the nexus point of this book is going. Because if you fully automate everything, the only thing left is referrals. And what's the best way yeah. to get referrals? through events where you both attended the event and you met somehow, right? So from you two, the 50,000 or what is it, million dollar question, how do we align sales and marketing? How do we get these two to play nice in the sandbox? Obviously, you guys are doing great work in having to kind of being the sh- put themselves in the shoes of the other one. But I'm curious, especially based on like both your backgrounds, you know, marketing, sales, and, and your experience with these corporate events, how do we move the needle? So speaking to practicality of sales and marketing alignment, you know, what's phenomenal is that we saw that alignment coming from the tech stack side way faster than from the human side. And by that, I mean consolidation, alpha over platforms. And really, if you think of it, I doubt that, you know, five years from now, we'll have purely sales tech companies succeeding in the market or martech companies Mm -hmm. succeeding in it. Obviously, it's going to unify. So it's just strange that on the human level, on the scale level, it takes way more just to get there. And obviously, there are best practices on the technology side and rev ops and chief customer officers and lining KPIs, pipeline as a measurement. But really, I don't believe in sales and marketing alignment in a theoretical sense of, of these words. Okay. And I never seen it happening in a practical one 
in any organization in my career. So if you want to bring practicality to this matter, you really have to literally take your sales team, put them in the same room with marketers and show them what they're doing, make them write the messaging, make some meetings, make some mini, you know, GTM games where the CMO would tug directly to AEs and SDRs and, you know, just try to coach them, not just the VP of sales, have some one-on-ones, how to write, how to copyright, how to, you know, what are the best practices to align a marketer to an mm-hmm. AE and vice versa. So that collaboration is happening on both sides. And yeah, how about you, Justin? Well, I can't argue with you now if you say that it can't be done, you know what I mean? Because you're the marketer. (laughs) But, you know, I I hear a lot of good things around customer centricity, design thinking, shared KPIs, the CCO, a chief customer officer that sits over marketing and sales. Mm -hmm. But a lot of that's lip service, right? Because it's really hard to execute on that vision. Um, Right. If you have that hidden wall that's put up between the divisions that silo where the salespeople have been burned so many times by bad leads and then the marketing folks are like why don't the salespeople do anything then it's just it's hard to ever make peace so yes getting them in the room and that's i think we're breaking that down with our series in this book is people are just gaining respect for the craft that each other does and when marketers take it so seriously to cold call or to craft emails salespeople respect that and appreciate that they're trying hard and they want to try hard to learn the marketing side so yeah. I think that's the doorway, right? That's the first step. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think there is a, a lack of empathy between the two teams. And, and I talk about this in my book of, you know, when I transitioned to marketing, you know, going in, to be honest with you, I was kind of selfishly focused on advocating for salespeople because I was convinced that marketers were evil and they were sitting in the ivory tower and they were getting paid six figures uh, and just throwing strategy out the window and, and hoping it worked. I found that that was not the case. What I will say in in doing this work and being in a space for you know, several, several years, we don't talk enough about changing incentives. Uh, A lot of what drives behavior is the incentive that have been put on people. And a lot of organizations are not incentivizing these two groups to work together. They talk about, oh, we want sales and marketing to be aligned. We want them to be customer centric, but you're still compensating marketers to get a hundred thousand leads. You're not focused on quality. So I think that is another layer that really needs to have a a serious conversation. And then to both your points, we can start to think through how do we create better empathy? And Julie, I think you kind of talked to how do we kind of cross-pollinate skills so that sales is teaching marketing, marketing is teaching sales. But I think it all goes back to the, at the end of the day, if the incentives aren't there, especially when it comes to compensation, it's tough to argue for someone to do something that is out of their best interest. Definitely, Jeff, but you know, it's really rare that someone would incentivize sellers and marketers to do that. And, you know, we can talk about it for many, many years to come. But what we're trying to do, we're trying to bring accountability to sellers and marketers, to CMOs and VPs of sales now so that, you know, they do something. And obviously, you can become a CMO without understanding sales and vice versa. You can run a successful marketing team if you're not talking to your VP of sales and you are not speaking the same language and English is not enough. Yeah. So obviously, you know, the incentives have to be there, but I don't believe in success in SaaS if there is no alignment. Yeah. 
I love that. I would agree with you. So my, my last question before we close out, because you know we could talk about this stuff all day and I, I don't know if listeners would stay with us or not. Based on all of your experiences running Hype Cycle, obviously writing the book about you know, virtual events, what are some of the key opportunities that you feel revenue leaders have when it comes to transforming their go-to-market strategy or just doing things differently? I really love to focus on the future and how people can get from where they are to where they want to be and kind of what are the the key themes or tenets they can use in order to focus on getting there. So we'd love that from both of you before we close out. Just like, what are you seeing top go-to-market strategy opportunities to transform the way we go to business? Try to speak the same language as the machine does and try to do something that the machine can't. Okay. I like that. That's the top opportunity that comes to mind. I'm a huge fan of Seth Godin. He talks about it a lot in his books and work and, you know, how to do it more practically. Devoted his life to it. And yeah, overall, we're, you know, whether we want it or not, we can talk about creativity all day and sales and marketing alignment, but we are in a recession. So a lot of folks out there are being cut and afraid of being cut. So it's not no longer a question whether you need to expand your lenses and Mm -hmm. skills, but it's a must have. So you really have to understand you have to have a business acumen, you have to have a market acumen, you have to have strong communication skills and it's a must. Yeah. So what I'm hearing you say definitely for those listening, you have got to invest the resources to upskill your people, especially with the introduction of AI and it really becoming really integrated in the way that we go to market, the way we, you know, in everything, you know, AI until recently kind of was more of an academic uh, exercise and, you know, some parts of our lives, but it is creeping into B2B very quickly. And, you know, Julia, I think to your point, the way to differentiate yourself is really to focus on those things that AI can't do. So I think it's a really good point. Uh, Justin, you were going to say something. Yeah. So the framework in the book is literally called games. But if you're looking at your marketing and sales or you go to market or your events and you don't have gamification or interactivity really at all, it's a huge miss. And it doesn't require investing in a lot of tech to do it. It just requires non-scripted communication, brainstorms, coaching, games, quizzes, doing things where the, the customers and the audience are pulled in. Now, there are some superb static webinars and good formats. I mean, we're all fans of Masterclass, so it can be done with high production. But the more there's interactivity and engagement, the more the retention, the more the learnings, the more stickiness, and the higher propensity for that to become a customer or an upsell and renewal. So it's really fundamental. Look for ways to gamify and make every channel more interactive, and you'll see a competitive advantage. All good stuff, my friend. So if people want to learn more about you, your work, how do they find you online? What is the best way to stalk you? I probably shouldn't say that in case somebody actually tries to stalk you, but you know what I mean. Yeah. Hypecycle.com. You know. Can you spell that really quick for folks? I don't know if we spelled it. Yep. H-Y-B-C-C-C-Y-C-L.com. Yep. So participate in our series, become a coach, become a contestant. Just, you know, experience the Netflix of B2B. We have 300 recordings of different simulations from top leaders like Mary Shea, like Marco Berge. You know, everyone you can think of, the best of the best. So you can experience it, you know, at your own pace. You can read our book 
it's reinventing virtual events. The website is pretty similar. It's not a book about events. So if you're a seller or a marketer, it's really about marketing and sales and the alignment between two of these functions. Event has always been, you know, a channel that drives pipeline and MQL in the B2B world. So that's why we covered it. And um, the most important element of the book, how do you bridge this gap between creating a virtual experience on the marketing front and following it up with sales that is not pushy, that is not salesy and slap pitchy. Yeah, reinventingvirtualevents.com. We make it really easy with the website. Check it out. If you become a member of HypeCycle community, it's free. And you just, if you badge your profile, member HypeCycle, it unlocks all those recordings. It is an incredible compendium of cross-functional knowledge. So yeah, come check us out. Be part of the community in the Slack 2.0. We're sharing a lot of quality GTM stuff and great to be on the show today, Jeff. Thank you. I appreciate you guys coming on. Uh, I would also encourage those listening to uh, follow these two on LinkedIn. They also are very active and post a lot of content and insights. So I uh, want to make sure we didn't miss that. But, you know, I appreciate both of you. I think what you guys are doing around this kind of go-to-market cross-training is really, really interesting. I think we definitely are going to learn a lot uh, based on kind of these kind of the mashing of these two and, and the, the cross learnings that they're having. And then and obviously talking about just doing the events differently. And, and I think that was a smart outgrowth of what you guys have created of really helping, you know, revenue leaders think differently about how do we create virtual events that are engaging and that really break the noise because, you know, with everything having been pushed to virtual, there's just so much to choose from. And so I think we're at a point now where, throwing a webinar or having an event, even doing it live has become more commonplace. And so we're having to continue to raise the bar. So uh, great insights again, uh, looking forward to, to reading the book and, and hopefully those that are listening will also pick up a copy and, and maybe we'll have both you guys on to do a deeper dive to, to give, give folks some more insights. Well, with that said, I appreciate your time and, and looking forward to, to seeing what you guys do next. Always happy and looking forward to feature you. And awesome. Games, Jeff. Thank you both. Thanks for listening to the Rev Engine Podcast. I hope today's episode provided you with some actionable insights that will help you begin the process of transforming your organization to a high-performing revenue engine. If you found today's episode valuable, we ask that you support the show's growth in three ways. First, share the episode with your friends and colleagues. Second, follow me on social media at Meet Jeff Davis on LinkedIn, Instagram, and Twitter. And finally, give us feedback on who you'd like to see on the show next. That's all for this episode. We look forward to having you join us next time where we continue the conversation on how to build a high-performing revenue engine.